Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Friday Formula, a weekly motorsport podcast where this week we'll be navigating the Nouvelle Chicane and diving headfirst into the swimming pool section as we talk all things Monaco. As always, I'm Owen Bellwood, and I'm once again joined by Will Longman. How are you doing this week? I'm good, thank you. I'm very excited because this is the first week that we've gone global. Woo-hoo! We're now international. We are officially the world's leading international Formula One podcast. Wow, that is a claim we cannot back up. No, we cannot. <laughs> <laughs> just, just take out leading and we are a international F1 podcast. Now we are because... definitely one of the international podcasts, yeah. And what is incredible is we've been recording these remotely from you being about 35, well, us being 35 miles apart for the last 10 weeks. And now we're recording and you're, I don't know, a thousand miles away? Is that the size of the Atlantic? Uh, I feel like my flight said it was 3,000 miles. Well, you're in New York. That's an easier way to say it. Yeah. And this quality is better than we've ever had, um, which is very exciting. This is what we needed, clearly, to excel as a podcast. Exactly. We just needed five hours of time difference and better Wi-Fi. So uh, thank you for biting the bullet. But how are you, how are you finding your motorsport experience in New York? Because you've already found some differences. Good so far. Um so yeah, rather than having Sky and Channel 4 to watch on, I've had to switch to ESPN2, which it turns out just uses the Sky coverage, but intersperses it with bizarre American adverts, which are all kind of for the same stuff. So it's just the same kind of cars and golf, but with an American voiceover. How do the adverts work? Like, is it like when... Formula One used to be on ITV and it would just cut away from the action and Lance Stroll would appear and then go away and or or does it go into like the corner? It's not during the race. So oh, it's all as it is with Sky where it's like just before the formation lap and then before and after the race. So you did get to see the horrific Lance Stroll animation. Yeah, I didn't need an ad break for the one overtake of the race to be missed. <laughs> We're going to chat about Monaco in detail, and because we haven't spoken about Formula E on the podcast yet, we're speaking about the Monaco E-Prix, right? Yeah, because there were only sort of two weeks between the two of them, and it was the first time that Formula E was going to be tackling pretty much the full Formula One layout. The only difference was the, the Nouvelle Chicane was slightly tweaked, and they were kind of polar opposites in terms of racing action, so we thought it'd be interesting to talk about the different stages of the weekend and how Formula E and Formula One stacked up against each other. Not just in lap times and things, but in kind of overall excitement of the event. Because full disclosure, I'd say we're both fans of Formula E, not as much as Formula One, but we probably keep our eye in a little bit more than the average Formula One fan, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. We're both, like, we just like the racing. And the racing is good. Yeah, I don't think either of us watch Formula One specifically because of like, we're, we're not purists about motoring. It's the kind of entertainment factor, right? And Formula E certainly has that in abundance. And so taking that already chaotic product, I would say, and putting it on the full course of Monte Carlo was excellent. But so we're, we're going we're gonna to look at the three different areas of a race weekend and compare the F1 Grand Prix with the E-Prix. And we're starting with qualifying. Yeah. Should we start with Formula 1 qualifying? Yeah. Okay. 
because like traditionally qualifying at Monaco is always the most exciting part of the Formula One event. And this year was kind of no different. Q1 was kind of one of the most changeable Q1s I think I've seen in a while. It seemed like three, four, five different drivers that were all setting the fastest laps. So it started with Carlos and Charles in the Ferraris. We had Lando in the McLaren doing really well. Max in the Red Bull. And this was all just in Q1. People were outperforming each other as it went through, uh, which was great to see and something that I don't think we would have expected going into Monaco. Like, would you have expected Ferrari and McLaren to also be setting the fastest laps? No, not at all. I think Ferrari came out of nowhere. I I would have been less surprised if McLaren were kind of pushing that front row. I think part of it as well comes from Mercedes underperforming. But yeah, kind of through the qualifying, because it's public roads and they get more rubbered in as every session goes on, you really see those session times come down throughout a session. And so a lot of it can be down to like timing and when you go out. If, for instance... Max was in front of Charles on his last run, then he could have very easily beaten Charles's lap because, you know, he's got more temperature in his tyres, the track is more rubbered in. Um, but it wasn't to be, was it? <laughs> no, so we had the the very exciting Q1, and then when we got round to Q3, Charles did set the fastest lap. But then, while himself and quite a few other drivers were all trying to up the game a bit he did crash towards the end of the lap and bring out the red flags and brought an end to the session which quite a lot of drivers weren't too happy about people like Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz both thought that they could have set much quicker times that time and there were a few questionable ideas on Twitter that he'd done it on purpose but as the events of the weekend proved there's no way you were gonna crash your car on purpose yeah and I think We've seen what Michael Schumacher has done to keep pole at Monaco before by like parking his car at Raskas, kind of the slowest point, not just on that track, but like in all of Formula One. He crashed it there and got minimal damage, like his his nose. If you do that, I think you lose your pole. That's what Michael Schumacher, he lost his pole that weekend. So why would you do that if you're on pole at the moment? Same as Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso did some funny tricks with Lewis Hamilton in the box at McLaren, where he wouldn't let Lewis go out and he lost his pole. So I think this whole funny business of people losing or crashing their car on purpose or doing something to keep pole, if anything, history has told us that actually if you do anything like that, you're going to lose your pole. Yeah, you're going to get found out. There's no space for cheating. But the the other kind of shocks of qualifying for Formula One was Lewis Hamilton's performance. So he ended up qualifying in seventh, which was considerably lower than we're used to seeing the reigning world champion. And then we also saw Daniel Ricciardo in the McLaren dropping out in Q2 when he found himself 12th on the grid. So there was a few little upsets up and down the order, which was quite unpredictable. And I don't think going into it, we would have thought, oh, Lewis, yeah, he's going to qualify seventh. Not at all. Um, But he didn't seem to really be around all weekend, did he? No. Max and the Ferraris kind of dominated most of the practice sessions. And that's not good news for next week in Baku either. And with the return of street circuits, maybe that's what is going to kind of slow them down. But yeah, he had a very anonymous weekend. Um, and you know around Monaco, you, you qualify low, you're probably going to finish low. So I think he can have what he can have to say about his race and his team at the end of the race, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But he's got no one else to blame but himself, really. 
No, and at the end of qualifying, he said that his like his aim for the weekend was just to finish in the same place that he qualified in, yeah. which it's very strange to hear someone like Lewis say, who's always fighting for the win and always fighting his way through the pack, for him to be like, oh yeah, I've qualified seventh. If I finish seventh, that'll be a good thing. Yeah, just completely contradicts his normal attitude. But aren't you kind of glad it happened? This is kind of what the season needed. I think at this point, if Hamilton would have taken pole at Monaco, that would give him so much more momentum going into the kind of second quarter of the season. Yeah, it's almost like we need to schedule in these little mix-up races. So we'll let Max get ahead a little bit and then come Silverstone, he'll have a nightmare and Lewis yep. will do well. And then a few weeks later, it'll be the other way around. <laughs> that's yeah, what, that's what we need to keep it exciting all the way through. It's what the scriptwriters of Formula One need to bear in mind. They're finally getting their pacing to this storyline, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then the other event that we wanted to talk about was Formula E's qualifying. Did you watch this when it was on? I think I had my eye on it. The, the thing with Formula E qualifying is I like the idea, and we had a good conversation about qualifying in the last episode, but I do feel it's a little bit convoluted. Although, for an event like Monaco that makes sense because you do avoid the kind of traffic paradise that you would get at Monaco that is my favourite thing about Formula E qualifying is how there's only ever a few cars on track at a time and everyone's got the space to do their running but then it makes it a little bit unpredictable with like track evolution and things and how the different groups will fare on the circuit yeah especially if you have a group towards the end who end up going out in the rain or something the closest I so I I hadn't realised um, or enjoyed watching F two qualifying and how they run that. I don't know if you saw that on ESPN if they were showing that, but they do a they do a similar group format just for Monaco. So half the grid will go out and just do a qualifying session like you normally would, and then the other half will, and you get a winner of each session, and whoever had the fastest time is on pole, and their group lines up. 3rd, 5th, 7th, ninth, 11th and then whoever came in pole on group 2 will start 2nd and his group will be 4th, 6th, 8th, 10th so they merge the groups together after they've found who's the fastest runner Oh, that's a bit strange It is strange but I quite, I quite like it although, again, track evolution in theory, group B have the upper hand Mm-hmm because I know Lewis Hamilton was talking about maybe doing some format changes for F1 to make it a little bit more exciting. Maybe they could look at something like what Formula E do and do the kind of whole Super Bowl groups qualifying. Yeah, I do quite like the Super Bowl shootout. And it was it's always quite a competitive field. But the gap between the top four in Monaco was just six hundredth of a second. So they were all super close together in that Super Bowl which is something we're quite used to in Formula E. The top three in the end were Robin Freintz, uh, Mitch Evans and Antonio Felix da Costa. It felt like at one point any one of them could have been on pole. And that's good considering that it was their first run around this circuit and probably one of the longest circuits that they've got on their calendar. And also, I guess, one of the, the slowest to still be so close together where you could lose time very quickly. Yeah, I have the, um, the pole times for both series actually and Antonio Felix da Costa got pole with a 1 minute 31.317 so that was in the Formula E and then Charles Leclerc's pole time 
in Formula One was one minute ten point three four six. So wow. and no Formula E is slower. But when you see it written down like that, twenty seconds a lap seems like ages. But then yeah. how much does that matter if then the racing is so close and so competitive? Which bit do you need to focus on? Well that's what we're coming on to, isn't it? I guess, when we come into racing action. Um I guess if you were there in Monaco watching the qualifying and you had the choice of being there on Formula One weekend, the Saturday on Formula One or the qualifying session for Formula E, what what would you pick if you could only be at one? As much as both were really exciting to watch from home, if I had to be there for just one, I probably would pick to be there for the Formula One qualifying because it's always the most exciting part of the weekend, qualifying at Monaco. And I think this year's was probably one of the closest and most competitive we've seen for a little while, just because you had Ferrari, Red Bull, McLaren and Valtteri Bottas at times all leading the lap chart and all setting the quickest times. And that was quite a nice shock Hmm. that not many people would have predicted ahead of the weekend. So I think of the two, I would go for qualifying in Formula One. What about you? Yeah, I would agree. I think that the qualifying session at Monaco isn't just one of the best sessions of of the weekend it's one of the best sessions of the year it is kind of prime formula one the the importance of it is hugely significant compared to the other qualifying sessions of the year and I think again leading on to the next point a lot of the work is done on a Saturday in formula one where it's not necessarily done in formula e no exactly so I think that sounds like one point to Formula One. So after you've had all the excitement and fanfare of qualifying on the Saturday, that then brings you on to race day on the Sunday. And Formula One at Monaco can sometimes end up being a bit of a procession. And I think the only overtakes of note I wrote down in the full 78 laps, was it, or 68 laps? was Mick Schumacher sneaking past Nikita Mazepin in the first lap. And then the one where Seb came out the pits and had Pierre Gasly in the Alpha Tauri, which we didn't even see. So for a full race distance to have just two on-track overtakes like that does make it seem a little bit parade-like. But what did you think of the race? How do you think it compared to other years? I It was, it was interesting because of the kind of the pit strategies... I don't think we saw Nikita Mazepin's overtake. Um, I don't remember seeing it at all. And listening back to some of the team radio, part of it was because Mick Schumacher had a fuel pressure problem. Um, okay. At least I, I believe so, because there was there was a team radio call to Mick Schumacher saying, let Nikita buy. Um, and then Mick asked if he could go back in front. And they said no, because of the blue flags, and it would get messy. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he was fortunate to finish in front of his teammate this week uh, Nikita um, but yeah that that move from Seb on Pierre was godlike but was that again only possible because he was coming in through the pit lane why don't we see that lap through lap you know Lewis couldn't get himself in that position on Pierre when he was kind of in race mode so was it only because it was a, a really good overcut from from Seb that he put himself in that position yeah, I feel like that must have had an impact because Lewis seemed to be stuck behind Pierre just lap after lap after lap and was like, there's 
there's no way I can get past. But it was quite interesting to see how much strategy played a part, especially with someone like Perez in the Red Bull. And and he pulled out a much longer stint, which the engineers came over and said to him that it meant he'd managed to get the jump on quite a few different people. So people like Pierre and Seb, he'd worked his way past and up into fourth. So I always quite like it when strategy plays a big role like that. It's just nice when there's a bit of a mix of strategy and on track. I don't. I mean, I don't like to be boring and talk about tires, but I think Perez's tire management is really coming to like the forefront as one of his strengths this season, yeah. as he becomes that team player with Max. He did what was it, fifty-five laps in like a sixty-two lap race in Portugal on the same set of tires. Yeah, it's amazing how he can use that strength if he's had a slightly mixed qualifying session. You know, he's going to end up a few places up the order just because of his tire management. And they're things that are exciting when you see a graphic on screen. They're not exciting if you were... It's not going to make the highlights real, is it? One tyre-related issue that definitely would make it into the highlights real was Valtteri Bottas's cursed pit stop, which was probably the biggest talking point of the weekend, I would have thought. Some say that that tyre is still on that car. Yeah, there was a few (laughs) stories saying that they had to ship it back to the factory with the tyre still on because the... Was it the thread they'd broken? Yeah, it had kind of gone on an angle, so it had kind of ripped off all of the the thread part to it, so there was nothing for the gun to attach to and bring the nut back off from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a really cool shot of them putting the gun on, and then you could see all the aluminium kind of fly where it's trying to grab onto something and just can't. I thought that was quite, that was good. Yeah, I thought that was a good shot as well. Thank God that that pit stop happened to Mercedes, because if it had happened to anyone else down further down the grid, I don't think it would have been so much of a talking point. No. It, it was quite nice that it happened to a team of title significance. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if that... Obviously, we don't have any further crazy races if it comes down to that pit stop that decides either championship, which would be pretty mad. And I think it's gutting for Bottas because I think at first he was ready to rage like a bull at his team and then he realised that it kind of wasn't anyone's fault. No. I don't think anyone's accounted for that ever happening in Formula 1. No. It was like the definition of a freak accident. Yeah. So what were your thoughts on the other Mercedes and Hamilton saying his team had a shocker that weekend? I'm not sure. It seemed a bit odd, the gap between Hamilton and Bottas. We never normally see such a big gap that way around. So I guess some of that will come down to the setups that were different on the two cars but then obviously you wouldn't ever pin the blame on one person and I think that's why he said the team because it is a mix of the engineers the strategists and then him as a driver that all comes together but I think Mercedes seem to have one event like this every year where just nothing goes to plan Ooh. and I don't know what it is that results in that but it's like Bahrain outer last year yeah hockenheim the year before monaco this year they've got one cursed event and then everything else is flawless maybe that's it they get all their bad luck out on one weekend and then just win everything i don't think this is that race i think they've got worse to come because italy last year also wasn't a great race for them no that's true that's a good theory it does seem to go you know mercedes one two mercedes one two mercedes one two or everything goes wrong at the same time yeah, it's almost like there's like kind of a domino effect of 
something really small doesn't quite work. Yeah. And that just knocks everyone else out of kilter and results in not the kind of race result they'd want. But then a team that did sort of not redeem themselves, but obviously Ferrari had a bit of a shocker with not checking Charles's drive shaft, so he then couldn't start the race. So he fell from pole to, to a DNS. But then it was lovely to see Carlos up there in his place and being able to hold on to the big points for the team and eventually come in second, which was kind of a position that he just held on to throughout the whole race. It didn't look like anyone was really going to come close. And he was just like, yep, I'm Carlos Sainz. I'm in second. Yeah, and when Bottas eventually retired and Lando inherited that third place, I think mainly due to the lack of action on that track, but because you know they're not going to lose those places, probably, you just kind of sit there, watch it and go, I hope neither of them break down. Because I think everyone wanted to see Carlos and Lando on the podium at the same time. And so you just sat there like kind of watching the times going, well, I hope I hope neither of them have got any problems. At one point, Perez caught up right to the back of Norris on kind of the last 10, 15 laps uh, and then dropped off again. But again, he kind of, he thought, where is Perez going to like try and get past here? It's not going to happen. No. Yeah, so they, they switch his tyres and um, go for fastest lap rather than trying to overtake. Yeah, who... Hamilton still got fastest lap in the end there, didn't he? Yeah, I think so, because he went back in and everyone was a bit tense that the same wheel gun thing was going to happen again. Yeah. Oh, that would have been a great story. So if most of the action in F1 was down to the pits and the strategy, Formula E has no pit stops, really. So all of the action was on track, which is, I think, my favourite thing about it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an insane race. Part of it Obviously, the cars are not as wide as the F1 cars, are they? So it is a lot easier to pass. But you wouldn't have expected them to be going three wide. <laughs> and that, harking back to what we were saying about Vettel's pass on Gasly in the Grand Prix, is it Mitch Evans on uh, Felix da Costa at Beau Rivage? Mm. It was the same move, but that was in racing trim. And my God, it was unbelievable. Yeah. He just, I think... Was he just coming out the end of fan uh, of attack mode? He'd got a few little bits of energy left, and he still just shot at Beauravage to take the place. It's such a tricky place to to get past as well because you're on the outside of this relatively like medium speed corner, but you're also on the crest of that hill, so it's completely blind. Oh, what a move! Yeah, it was great, and then we had quite a few dives into the the new new chicane, which. What did you think about the layout of the chicane there? I can't remember why they why they did it a little bit differently. No, I don't know the reason behind it. It just seemed to make it quite a lot sharper. Yeah, it might have just been to keep the speed up rather than slow all the way down and go go right round. Um, but yeah, that was where um, Felix da Costa made that incredible penultimate lap move on back on Mitch Evans, wasn't it? Yeah, and then in the final stages we had that uh, we had the safety car so then we had the safety car restart and everyone had lost a bit of energy and a few people had managed to manage their uh, energy usage a bit better so had a bit more towards the end which was what helped Mitch Evans out I think wasn't it so Mitch Mitch um, ran out of energy on the last lap and and was overtaken they went three wide over the line and he managed to hold on to third uh, I can't quite remember who got second it was France, I think, wasn't it? Yes, that's it. 
Yeah, so Frein's just had like a fraction more energy, so took him on the line. But Evans still kind of he held on to the podium, didn't he? Because he cut the chicane at the end um, because of all the craziness that was happening around him, and there was a charge from someone behind him as well. But God, it was an exciting finish. Yeah, and then there was the thing with um, John Eric Verne, how he went to take his attack mode just before the safety car. It didn't quite work. So then they were saying, is he going to have to go back in for it again in the final few laps? There was just so much action packed into that 45 minutes plus a lap, which is just not something you see at Monaco. And I think one of the great things about the format of Formula E, I think it worked at Monaco having things like attack mode because normally the Formula 1 race was very processional and normally you're watching that timing graphic and looking out for like the green and red flash where someone's done a move and then it'll come up or you know you're looking for the the battles where it gets down to like within a second at monaco you're not and if you see a move you'll be very surprised but because attack mode takes you off the racing line twice a race you know that there's going to be action and getting that pole doesn't guarantee that you're going to be at the front of the pack the entire time no exactly because like most times when people took attack mode they were losing at least one place probably two so then they were having to fight their way back through knowing that other people would still have to take attack mode and i know it's a little bit of a gimmick but i do really like that element of unpredictability that it adds to the race a lot of drivers were using their attack mode in the tunnel as they were coming up to the chicane and it was fascinating that that was where the drivers were lining up moves where you know, in Formula One, that very rarely works. You very rarely slow the car down that quickly. But for me, I think we were alluding to this. Formula E was gonna in on racing action. It takes the point. Yeah, I would one hundred percent agree with that. Formula E, we're really used to it being so competitive and such wheel-to-wheel racing throughout the events. So then to add that into Monaco, where you've got the spectacle and all the famous corners. It just made for probably one of the best races I've watched this year. So we both say that is a, a point for Formula E on raceability. Well, by the fact that we didn't have to talk about pit stops and undercuts and overcuts and strategy and it was all on track, yeah, I think it takes the win. Definitely. And then the final point we wanted to discuss was like the overall entertainment of the, are we saying of like the whole weekend and the whole racing spectacle? I think so. It's going to be how, if we if we were in attendance, I guess, which one would we have preferred more? I found this a lot trickier to kind of evaluate because with qualifying and race, you obviously know that they're both exciting. Well, the, the race, you know that the Formula E was considerably more exciting. But when it comes to like which event you'd like to go to, there's all that kind of gravitas around the Formula One Grand Prix in Monaco that seems quite appealing and like the idea of being there for Monaco because it's it's the it's kind of the flagship race really isn't it I'd agree the atmosphere on Saturday for qualifying must be absolutely insane I quite like seeing that some of the Max Verstappen's Orange Army uh, are now appearing on yachts rather than in the grandstands (laughs) quite like that and while Sunday isn't if we're talking about 2021 specifically, you know, they're not always the best races. There was a lot of drama before the race with uh, Charles Leclerc 
and him losing. And that was properly sad as well. It was nice seeing a Ferrari on the podium for the first time this year. It was nice seeing Lando up there again. Especially with his special golf livery and his golf suit. That was nice to see them break the curse of the one-off liveries, which we've seen hit yes. Ferrari and Mercedes in the past. It's going to be a long time until we get some retro liveries in Formula E, I feel. Yeah. I think part of the the appeal to racing in Monaco must be being in another part of Monaco and just hearing the cars like reverberate around this mm. like peaceful town, this peaceful coastal town, essentially. And the biggest sporting event in the world at that time happening right there. Whereas with Formula E, I know we said earlier, like, we don't care that they don't make much noise. But that might, it does bring part of the atmosphere, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah. My, my kind of thoughts on that, though, are that we're used to seeing Formula One cars and race cars at Monaco. It's something that happens every year. But the thing I really like about Formula E is that they have a race in downtown Brooklyn and it just seems mad that they close off streets in Brooklyn and have race cars driving around. And then they had one in the middle of Rome the other week. When do you see race cars in Rome? I like yeah. that novelty of putting these electric cars somewhere where they sh- kind of shouldn't be. So while it's very nice seeing them at Monaco, they already fit there. They like look at home. Whereas yeah. the races I want to go to are like the Brooklyn one, the the Santiago one, in these really busy cities where racing shouldn't happen. So it's cool seeing them at Monaco, and it was a great spectacle. But if I was to pick a Formula E race to go to, like a dream event, I don't think Monaco would be the top one. Whereas if I was to pick a dream Formula One event to go to, I mean, it'd be Singapore, but Monaco would also be near the top. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be cool to see if Formula E can build on the reputation of Monaco a little bit and become a little bit more glamorous than it yeah. is at the moment. You know, like having Serena Williams do the checkered flag in Formula One is huge. If they could mm-hmm. do that in in Formula E, get some more you know celebrities on the grid. Yeah, um, I mean Leonardo DiCaprio is a fan. He's a pretty big yeah. name, so get him to come down with all his pals. Basically, dragging the whole sport into the limelight, isn't he? Yeah. So in terms of entertainment, who are you giving the point to? I think in terms of the whole spectacle of the weekend, it's probably going to go to Formula One, just because it is that whole glitz glam flagship event. Um, But that isn't to detract from how great Formula E was. It just didn't seem like elevated over another Formula E race. Yeah. Whereas it seems like a bigger deal than most Formula One races. That's my, my my thinking with this one. What about you? Yeah, I I would, I would agree. Um, it it felt special, didn't it? Being back, hmm. the kind of Formula One, and a lot of the coverage. It was nice seeing it a little bit more buzzy, and it felt like a, a race again. And I don't think that's going to happen when we go to circuits again. It's going to feel very sanitized and COVID safe again. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it did feel a little bit magic, I guess. And I guess having last year off sort of not helped but kind of resorted in that a bit because we'd kind of forgotten what it's like seeing cars around Monaco. I know it's never going to happen but maybe that's something that would help Monaco a little bit to have a year off every two years. Having it alternates. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Another street circuit. No it's one of those ones that's always going to be on the calendar and it's it's kind of needed. It's that 
event that people talk about, people think about Monaco and Silverstone. Um, outside of the Formula One sphere, they're like the big events. Yeah. So it's fine being there. But the racing's better in Formula E, for sure. So 2020, whenever you're back in Europe, we'll go to Monaco. <laughs> yeah, I'll start saving now. And then just spend the six weeks there and see both of them, and then we'll be able to do like a proper comparison. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of our thoughts on both the Monaco Grand Prix and the Monaco E-Prix. But as is officially tradition with our race reviews, we're going to give a little one-sentence summary of each team's performance. We are just going to stick with Formula One with this. So we'll work through in championship order and describe each team's performance in just one sentence. And we're starting in championship order, which means you begin with Red Bull. Great strategy shoots them to the top of the standings. You're next with second place, Mercedes. Why do the best races always happen when the silver arrows shoot themselves? Following Mercedes and keeping third position, we have the golf liveried McLaren. The one-off livery curse is broken, despite it being a tale of two garages. Just two points behind McLaren in the standings is Ferrari. How have you described their weekend? I have put sobs in Italian with sadness and then joy. Following Ferrari and having a pretty stellar weekend and shooting them up the standings, uh, we have Aston Martin in fifth place. Seb finally hits his stride as the team takes double points. The gulf between Ferrari and Aston Martin is enormous, isn't it? Yeah, but the gulf between Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri is just one point. How have you described their weekend? I have just put, Yuki is killing my fantasy team. So then, just one point behind Alpha Tauri is Alpine. Esteban continues to stake his claim for the team leader title. In eighth place in the standings is Alfa Romeo. How have you described their weekend? Antonio Giovinazzi had a great race, but my sentence is just, Kimi has a drinking problem. So after Alfa Romeo, and the first of the non-scorers is Williams. Another consistent weekend shows the team's recovery, which then leads us on to the final team, Haas F1 team. And I have put, we should have let them race, it could have been absolute chaos. So that's, uh, that's our one-sentence reviews of all teams in the current Formula 1 Championship. What do you think of those? Do you agree with our glowing or scathing reviews? You can let us know on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts on both the Monaco Grand Prix and the Monaco E-Prix. You can get in touch with the show at Friday Formula or directly with either of us. I'm at Owen Bellwood and Will, you can be found at... At Will Longman. So please do keep in touch with us on there. Give us a follow, give us a like. Let us know your thoughts on any kind of motorsport. We'd love to talk about a few different ones. So this is our first foray away from F1, and it's definitely something we're keen to continue. Next week, we'll be back with another episode ahead of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And before that, we do have a Fantasy Formula One league. We'd love you to join our little squad. The code to join that league will be in the episode description. So copy and paste that over, and you can see how you stack up against us too. 
But that is everything for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Have a lovely weekend. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.